Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have scriptures with you, I'd like you to follow along. Today we're going to approach a passage of scripture. It's actually 11 verses long, so don't be afraid. It's 11 verses. And we may even read it twice. Now don't get too startled. I've heard that sermonettes are for believerettes. I don't know if that's true or not. But today we want to examine a passage of scripture that's found in the Torah and Sefer Devarim in the book of Deuteronomy. And how many of you appreciate the book of Deuteronomy? Anybody appreciate the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim? I think it's an awesome book. It's quoted many times in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, the New Testament. It's quoted by the Shlichim, the apostles. It's quoted by Yeshua. It's within the writings of the apostles. So it's a very important book. And if we were to describe what Sefer Devarim does or what it's about, it would take us a long time. But, but keep this in mind as you read the book of Deuteronomy, that Sefer Devarim is actually what we might call today in English some last-minute instructions from Moses. It's like the last month of his life and some of the final instructions at a very key time in the history of Bnei Israel, the people of Israel. So these last-minute instructions, I would suggest to you, are very important. They were very important to the children of Israel, and there are many reasons for that. Let me list a few reasons why these last instructions... In the last month or so of Moses' life, right up to the very last day of his life, these final instructions were important. For example, the children of Israel at that time as Moses spoke, as is recorded in Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel were about to experience something that was major, actually quite a few major things. One is that they were going to have a leadership change. Moses, Moshe, was going to be uh, buried by the Lord, as it's said in Scripture. To this day, we don't know exactly where, and I'm kind of glad by that. (laughs) What a pilgrimage site that would be. But Moshe was passing on the mantle of leadership uh, through the Lord's instruction, to Yehoshua, to Joshua. That's a serious change after all the years, 40 years in the wilderness and predating even that journey time. Also, they were going to enter into conflict, serious conflict, as they were crossing into uh, the River Jordan, crossing the River Jordan towards uh, the, the city of Jericho. They were going to encounter enemies, 
one of the p- passages says, Ki milchama, when you go forward into battle, that lied ahead of them. Now, they'd had some major skirmishes in the wilderness wandering, but they were going to enter into conflict with the people that was already living on. They were squatters, if you would allow that term, squatters on the land of promise. You remember some of their names, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites. <laughs> And all the others that were there. Well, they were going to enter into battle. So there's a change of leadership. Joshua's going to be the leader. That lied ahead during the book of Deuteronomy. We see that change beginning to take place. They were entering into land that was occupied by, by other groups like the Hittites, the Parasites. And also, and the scripture mentioned it two Torah portions ago, but I think it's very interesting Two Torah portions ago, two parashayot before this, the Lord mentioned to the children of Israel that they were leaving the climate they were used to, which was Egypt. (laughs) And I've been there, many of you know I've been there and spent time there. Man, is it dry. I mean, you can pray for rain all you want there, but I think they average like two inches of rain or something like that. But they were leaving that kind of a climate where it's almost constantly sunny, rarely cloudy, and they're going into the Eretz of Adchalavodavash, the land flowing with milk and honey, that receives rain annually, has streams, and at times great flowing streams during the rainy season, has a rainy season and a dry season, has brooks, and, and springs of water, well, that's the land they were entering into. That's very different type of climate, type of topography that they were entering into than what they were used to. Coming from the Nile Delta was a flat area. Still is to this day. Going into the land of Israel, they immediately enter into the Judean wilderness, into the, the hills and the mountains around Judea, around Jerusalem, as Scripture says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. They were entered into this new environment, this new climate, this new, new approach. Does, does rain bring a change to you in how you dress? Perhaps some of you like to take an umbrella and all that stuff. Well, they didn't really have to worry about all that before, but it was going to change. They also needed instructions as they were entering into the land of promise. They needed instruction on how to live in that land, how to build their places of abode in that land. They'd been wandering in Ohelim and tents around the, uh, the Sinai Desert area, and now they were going to end up in more permanent dwellings. What would the more permanent dwellings be? They were used to being a nomadic people. They would have to plant seeds, tend crops and harvest crops. They would have to, and this is a key point in the parasha, it's been mentioned previously in the Torah portions, they'd have to have boundary markers for their own land and know where their boundaries were. And at least three times the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scripture, tells us don't remove the ancient boundary markers because once the boundary markers were moved, on, moved from somebody's property, that, that changed the whole flow of things. Even the inheritance of the land could be changed, the amount of land inherited. 
all these things were coming upon them. I'm not sure they fully grasped it, but if you read Deuteronomy realizing and thinking about these are Moshe's final instructions and how wise by the Spirit of God that was upon him he was to give them these instructions. They weren't entering into this new land, cold turkey, so to say. They were being instructed. Well, how are you when you're instructed about something you really don't know? How receptive are you? I don't know how you are, but I might need to hear it once or twice or three times before I start to grasp it. So you see a repetition in, in the Torah of some of these instructions for them as they're entering into the land because some people need to hear it more than once. They might have been tempted as they, get far, they got farther and farther away from Goshen, Goshen and the place where of, of abject slavery that they were in, in the final days before Yetziat Mitzrayim, they might have even begun to glamorize where they came from. You know, the Torah teaches that they did. There were some that did. They said, oh, for the food that we had in Egypt, the fish, the leeks, the garlic, they totally forgot what it was really like for them. And we still say to this day in our Passover, say, Avadim Hainu We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. They could glamorize it, think about it, and maybe even forget their historical roots, who they were, where they were coming from. For example, Jacob did not want to be buried in Mitzrayim in Egypt. Joseph, in a sense, exacted a vow that his bones would go out when the children of Israel. It was a prophetic statement that his bones would be taken out from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, taken out with them. By the way, they followed through and did just that. They took the bones of Joseph out of Egypt. That Egyptian sojourn, all the time there, started out okay when uh, Joseph invited Yaakov and Bnei Israel, his sons, to come to Egypt. It started out okay, but then we read in Exodus chapter 1, there was a new pharaoh that arose, a new king in Egypt that did not know Joseph. And from that point on in chapter 1 of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, forward, the situation worsens, the conditions worsen in Egypt. And in contradistinction to that idea, they're being told you are going to enter into Eretzavat Chalavudavash, a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know how you would have reacted. If you had never seen this land that was being spoken of, how would you react? You might, your imagination might wonder, what's this going to be like? A land flowing with milk and with davash. Can you say davash? With honey. What would your imagination have been? And then, of course, there was the actual entering into the land of Israel, Canaan, the promised land. As they neared Jericho and they were about to cross the Nahar Yarden, the Jordan River, into that land, they were going to become landowners, crop tenders, house builders, etc. Drawing water from wells, those type of things. 
which was many of those things were quite foreign to them from their historical experience in the land of Egypt. So Moshe, in his great wisdom and under the unction of the Lord, begins to tell them final instructions, last-minute instructions. And oftentimes in real life, for you and me, some of the last-minute instructions oftentimes are some of the most important instructions. Many of us raising children, uh, especially when they got their driver's license. And in fact, I admit, our youngest is going to be 22 years old. And the last thing I said to her as she went off to OU was, drive carefully. I couldn't help it. She's been driving since she was 16. I still said, drive carefully. Well, if you could imagine Moses saying to the children of Israel this very fatherly way with the anointing of the Ruach upon him and telling them some of the things they needed to be careful about. Top of the list would be forgetting the Lord your God. And I'll suggest to you in this 21st century America, that is something we need to keep in mind. That we don't get so caught up in the things that are happening around us that we forget Him who is the Lord of all, Him who is the King of kings, He who is the Savior of all those who call upon Him, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So hopefully the children of Israel got the message. They were told other things by Moses in these latter chapters of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. You know, they were told some things that might have been a little odd to them. This new circumstance, this new place they were entering into, it might have been odd to them. For example, they were told what to do if you find a, a cow that's wandering into your property. Well, they had been Avadim, they'd been slaves. What property did they really own? Everything belonged to Pharaoh. They were told what to do with lost sheep. They were told what to do with displaced boundary markers. They were told what to do when they encountered a nest of a bird with the eggs, with the mom, so to say. And many important instructions that at the time they might have wondered, why is he telling us all this? Have you ever thought that sometimes when someone's trying to express something to you? Why is he saying all that? Why is she saying all that? It truly was the preparation of the Lord for them. Hopefully, the idea was that as they entered into the newness of life, that would be uh, what we would call the promised land, as they entered into that newness of life they would encounter there, that they would not forget where they came from. And they would not forget the Lord who was the one who delivered them. Moshe was a vessel, but who was the deliverer? Well, it was the Lord is the deliverer. He's Hagoel. And hopefully they would honor God. The ultimate goal was as they entered into this new circumstance, this new climate, this new terrain, this new housing, this new crops, this all these new things that they were entering into had to be exciting on one hand, but the hope was that they would honor God from day one in the land of promise. They would honor Him. Now, I want to read to you a remarkable passage from Sefer Devarim. It's the very first section of this week's parasha, which is called in Hebrew, Kitavo. 
It's Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read through this twice and hopefully, um, and speak briefly about it. But I'd like you to really get this picture of what he's saying to them. Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with verse 1, says this. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Verse 3. And you shall go to the one who is Kohen, who is priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the Kohen, the priest, shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, Aramean. My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders." He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house. You and the Levite, and the stranger who is among you. When reading passages like this from the annals of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, there could be a tendency in some circles to say, you know, something that goes like this. These kind of passages. Oh, that was such a quaint, moving passage. But it really doesn't have anything to do with me, because that was them. This is now. Never the twain shall meet. That was for them way back there, but doesn't really have that much bearing on me now. Maybe you don't hold that opinion, but many do. When they consider what's written in the Torah, when it's considered even in some circles what's written in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, the Torah, the writings, and the prophets. But my suggestion is this. If that's your attitude, please don't take that attitude. Please don't 
say that the word of God is not relevant because in essence that's what we would be saying if we say that doesn't apply to me. The word of God is relevant. It's relevant to us today. And I'll suggest to you from Genesis to Revelation there's relevance for us. Does that mean every passage of Scripture applies to us personally? In principle, yes. We can glean from every passage of Scripture. And we all know there are some passages of Scripture that apply to the individuals. For example, I don't personally want to read about a passage of Scripture that applied to women. Well, I don't quite fit that bill. But in principle, the same God speaking in those passages speaking also in the other passages. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17, New King James Version, it says, All Scripture. How much is all Scripture? <laughs> it doesn't say all Scripture except Deuteronomy applies to us, is inspired of God. It doesn't say all Scripture except Leviticus. Doesn't apply to us. It says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Some translations say God breathed and is profitable. Can you please say those three words? And is profitable. What does it say about all Scripture? And is profitable. So if your scriptural reading habits uh, don't really look at all the Scripture, you might be shortchanging your spiritual life. And admittedly, sometimes it's more difficult to deal with passages in the Torah because they are so culturally sensitive, so to say. Culturally connected. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And notice this next verse, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. A humbly received and humbly used grasp of the Scripture, the panoramic view, as I call Genesis to Revelation, is essential for us in this 21st century. It's not the easiest route, by the way. And it doesn't mean a, a person can't become a believer by just reading one section, because many of us have a testimony of one particular section of Scripture came alive to us and we realized the truth of Yeshua's deity, of his Messiahship, of his being Ben Elohim. But a humbly received and a humbly used grasp of Scripture remains a critical factor for us, for all men and all women of God, so that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't think we will grow well spiritually if we disregard any part of God's Word and if we don't seek after Him. But we will grow if we mirror what it says in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning with verses 6 and 7, 
We will grow if we seek the Lord while he may be found and we call upon him while he's near. We will grow as we forsake evil ways and unrighteous thoughts and attitudes. We will grow as we return to the Lord and receive of his mercy. Have you received of the Lord's mercy today? If you've received the Lord's mercy, will you raise your hand, please? I got two up today again. <laughs> Double portion of mercy. Thank you. We will grow as we receive of his mercy. And you know, we're going to speak more about this during Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah season, and particularly in Yom Kippurim, the uh, Day of Atonement, that he abundantly pardons us. Has he forgiven your sin today? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And you know that he's the one who blots out your transgression because he abundantly pardons. Now, as I mentioned, I want to read this passage to you again, if you would bear with me. Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26. And my prayer is that some of this will just open up to you because all Scripture is inspired. God breathe. It's actually, how do I say it? It's good for us. So please bear with me as I read Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with verse 1 again. And maybe this time, focus a little more on what's being said. Remember the circumstance. These last-minute instructions, this, this preparation time where the children of Israel are being prepared to enter into a land of promise that they were not used to. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1 says, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land, that the Lord your God has given you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is Kohen priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest, the Kohen, shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the Mizbeach, the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us afflicted us and laid hard bondage on us then we cried out to the lord god of our fathers and the lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression so the lord brought us out of egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders he has brought us to this place and has given us this land a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite 
and the stranger who is among you. We've heard this passage twice. Now I want to conclude by offering what I believe are five truths that we can glean from this passage that are relevant to you and me. I've been suggesting to you that all the Scripture is relevant to us. It's profitable. And I'll admit right off the right from the get-go here, so to say, that there are many more than five truths that could be expressed from this passage. Actually, probably 25 or 30 would be more accurate. But I've chosen five to share with you that are based on this passage, the words of this passage, that come from these last-minute instructions that we've just read over twice. So, for example, in verse 1 we read, When you come into the land which... The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. So truth for today, number one, might be this. All we have in this life is a direct benefit given to us by the Lord. All we have in this life is a direct benefit given to us by the Lord. You see... The children of Israel had come from a very difficult place. When they left Egypt, the Lord said, Now you go and you ask for the tachshitim, for the, for the jewelry and all that. And they took that. And then the Lord uh, gave them an opportunity to give that so that they could build kingdom things. The ark. All that went with the ark. But they must always remember, and we must remember, that all we have in this life is really a direct benefit given to us by the Lord. And in Israel's case, from this scenario that we're talking about, say for Devarim, in Israel's case, without the Lord, their only course in life would have continued to be misery and death in Egypt. That was their only course. Without deliverance, that was what was ahead for them. And in fact, many had been succumbing to that. The work was getting worse and worse. And who knows if a pharaoh, even worse than the bad pharaoh, would rise up after that. When we choose to follow the Lord in this day, when we choose to follow the Lord, and for some it's despite ourselves, when we choose to follow the Lord, we enter into a journey that leads to newness of life. And when we follow the Lord in faith, and I would suggest with the waters of immersion, every believer should be immersed in water. When we follow the Lord with faith and in the waters of immersion, we experience newness of life, somewhat which is anticipated by this Torah portion and the others around it. In Sefer Devarim, when Israel's about to enter into a new place, of existence. Romans chapter 6 says this, beginning with verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through immersion into death. That just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? In newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's much more to say about this, but let me repeat truth 
for today, number one. All we have in this life is a direct benefit given to us by the Lord. Truth for today, number two. We come to Messiah just as we are and meet him just as he is. The true God meets real people. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, we read a couple times this, this statement. Verse 5, Deuteronomy 26. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, an Aramean. My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. I love this passage. Here they are, they're entering into this promised land and they're presenting their first fruits to the Lord and their first, almost their first pronunciation, their first announcement is where they're coming from. And it was truthful. You notice he didn't tell them to say, well, I am an Egyptian. No, he says, my father was a Syrian and he was about to perish. Friends, here's the essence of truth number two. Please, I implore you, give the real you, warts and all, to Yeshua. The real you. By the way, he knows us anyway. <laughs> How many of you realize that he actually knows everything about us? Even the hair of our head, the ever-decreasing in my part hair of head. And I hope that means since mine's decreasing, yours is increasing. <laughs> I may decrease so you can increase. <laughs> but give the real you warts and all. Don't be a phony. Be the real you before God and before people. Not the real you in the flesh. But before the Lord, be real with him. As I like to say, just give him warts and all there. And you know, if we'll do that in a real way, that allows him to, to transform the real us. Let him transform you to become what he wants you to be by the power of his Holy Spirit. You know, he would have us to see striving about so many things that we strive. And as the psalmist said and alluded to in Yeshayahu Isaiah, to see striving and know that he's God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. You know this passage. Let's read it together. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let the real you come to him, and the real him will come to you. You'll get to know him. There's much more to say about this one, too. But let's go to truth for today, number three. Truth for today, number three, is this. God is fully aware of even our most difficult, trying, worst-case scenario circumstances. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 6 says, The Egyptians treated us badly. 
And if you recall in the very beginning of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, it says that the, the cries of Israel and their groanings ascended unto the Lord and he heard. The Egyptians treated us badly, afflicted us, Deuteronomy 26, verse 6 says, and imposed hard labor on us. <laughs> now I can just imagine some and you uh, maybe you don't have the the, the most uh, cushy job so to say and sometimes you feel like the Egyptians here should be my boss at work treated me badly afflicted me and imposed hard labor on me that may be true but remember God is there he said I will never leave you nor forsake you keep pressing into him his kingdom, and his ways. But there's really no more difficult eternal circumstance than being dead in sin, being lost and without hope in this world. That's where we all were before Messiah. We were dead in our sin, and the wages of sin, death. That's where we were. We were without hope in the world, and many of you realize I'm quoting passages from the New Covenant without giving you the address. That was our real eternal circumstance. Without some internal intervention, we were without hope in this world. That's all of us before giving our life to the Lord and allowing His grace to prevail in our life, allowing the power of His Spirit to work in our life, to change us and transform us into a new creation that we might be conformed to the image that's most pleasing, which is the image of His beloved Son, Yeshua. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of, de of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. And here's the Apostle Paul as to the Torah blameless. He says, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, do you get it, children of wrath, just as the others were. Friends, if you're a believer today in Yeshua and you've placed your trust in Messiah Yeshua, you are no longer a child of wrath. You are a child of the living God. You're a son or daughter of him who is the King of kings, and Lord of Lords, and if he adopts you, there's no one that can annul that adoption. And in Messiah, you have been adopted into his mishpacha, his family. We can say much more about this one also, but let's go to truth number four. Truth for today, number four. It's a very obvious one, but I pray that we will get it now in this generation with all that's happening in our world. Truth number four for today is God hears the cries of his people and, please don't forget this next part, responds as he wills. He hears the cries of his people, but he responds as he wills. 
Have you ever tried to twist arm, God's arm to do your will? <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 7 says, Then we cried out to Adonai, God of our fathers, and Adonai listened to our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Then Adonai brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. There are so many passages that dovetail to this, but let me share two with you. The first one is from Tehillim, Psalm 34, verses 6 and 7. It says this, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Let me read that again. This poor woman cried out, and the Lord heard her and saved her out of all her troubles. The Malach Adonai, the angel of the Lord, encamps all around who? Those who fear reverence him, and the Lord delivers them. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2, it says this. We then as workers together with him, are you working together with the Lord for his kingdom purposes? Or are you doing your own thing? We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, deliverance, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of Yeshua, salvation. Much more to say about that, but we'll leave that. It's getting to be my mantra here. Much more to say. But finally, truth number five for today. This fifth truth for today Five of many, many that could be derived from Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26, the first 11 verses, is this. We can rejoice that God did not call us to offer mediocre service to him. He called us to have instead the joy of a first fruit relationship with him. Let me repeat that again. There's a lot of syllables and verbiage in that. We can rejoice that God did not call us to offer mediocre service to him. He called us to have instead the joy of a first fruit relationship with him. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, this is so striking to me. Beginning with verse 10. They're, they're instructed to respond, and this is what they're to say. So now look. I have brought the first of the fruits of the soil that you have given me, Adonai. Who are they addressing? The Lord. I have, I have given, I've brought the first of the fruits of the soil that you have given me, Adonai. And who would know if they were really telling the truth? The one being addressed, the Lord. They're speaking to the Lord. The Kohen's involved, but it's really before the Lord I have, so now look, I have brought the first of the fruits of the soil that you have given me, Adonai. Imagine if they brought the second and the third or the fourth. 
And they got there and had the chutzpah to get in this situation and say, I brought the first. Friends, fasten your seatbelts because many of us do exactly that to God. Exactly. In our own way. Then you are to set it down before Adonai your God and worship before Adonai your God. You will rejoice in all the good that Adonai your God has given to you and to your house. And it's very inclusive. You, the Levite, and the outsider, the sojourner in your midst. Imagine how this text changes as if we, verse 20, chapter 26, verse 10, we say, So now look, Lord, I brought to you the leftovers. This is, sir, I don't really need this, so you can have it. How atrocious that is to the living God to treat God in such a manner. It's atrocious. So what is a first fruit relationship with the Lord? I'll give you a few pointers. You can add your own. Think about these. See if you, you can concur with these. But what's a first fruit relationship with the Lord? Well, giving God the best you have to offer, that's a good starting point. You know what that is? The real you, warts and all, start there. Presenting yourself, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, as a living sacrifice, a korban high before the Lord. That's a good starting point. Also, how about giving him first priority in your thinking, your words, your ways, what you do? Give him first priority. How about... Giving him the glory that's due to his name. Why is it so hard for some of us to lift our hands to the Lord and thank him? When he says, clap your hands, all ye people. When he says, lift your hands unto the Lord. Give him the glory that's due his name. Every time we refuse to enter further, further into worship, we're withholding something from the God who deserves all honor, power, glory. It's all his. How about honoring him above all others? How about honoring him with mater- your material substance? As Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, in the command, by the way, honor the Lord with your possessions. And notice this next phrase. And with the second fruits, the leftovers, whatever you feel God deserves. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of how much? All your increase. And what's in it for us? I mean, that's usually a question we get in 21st century America. What's in it for me, bro? So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Point one, start by giving him the real you. Don't hold any part of your life back. The areas where you feel you're successful, those belong to him too. The areas where you're struggling, those belong to him too. Why? Because he paid a price for you. He bought you. He ransomed you. He redeemed you from your own Mitzrayim, from your own Egypt. 
and his desire as we read in the Torah portion, as it's seen in expression for the children of Israel. He was bringing them to a new land flowing with milk and honey. He is bringing his people to a place that we can't even imagine. Eye hasn't seen that we, we can't even imagine what he has stored up for those who really love and honor him. May everyone hearing these words be in that group. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. The children of Israel had come back from Babylon. They had been commissioned, even granted permission to go and rebuild the temple. And they got there into the land of Yehudah, Judah, and Judea. They got there and they started out all right. And then they stopped. And you know what they did? They started putting all their effort into their own paneled houses. The work stagnated. They started emphasizing everything that had to do with them and forgot the real commission of the Lord, which was so critical. And what does God do? He has his ways. How many know God has his ways? He has his ways to get his points across. He sent a series of prophets to them. We call them minor prophets, but they were major prophets. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, he says, and notice what's repeated in this passage. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. This isn't Haggai speaking. Haggai's the vessel. Now, therefore, thus says Adonai Tzvaot, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And this next one's of something else. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag, literally a pocket with holes in it. Thus says Adonai Sabaot, consider your ways. And I'll leave you here today with this passage from our Messiah. Matatiao, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? You ever worried about that? What shall we drink? Did you ever worry about that? Or what shall we wear? I know we've worried about that one. So therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things final words from our Messiah, blessed be his name. Say them with me, please. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Would you bear with me, and can we say that one more time? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Let's pray, please. Father, how we praise you this day. Great and glorious is your name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your written word, our scripture, Genesis to Revelation. Thank you, Lord, for the, the word you place in our hearts to guide and direct us, the word of your spirit your rhema, the word of your ruach. 
Lord, as we consider some of what we've been discussing here today and as we go out from here to the rest of this day, Lord, please help us to honor you, to have a first fruits type of relationship with you. We present ourselves to you, Lord. Hishtamesh Banu, use us. Lead us in the way that you desire. And Father, I pray for every person here. I know there's some that are heavily burdened by things in their life. Lord, please lift them up. Cause them to mount up with wings as eagles. Lord, I pray for those that are concerned about their future. Lord, I ask that you would grant peace and the ability to trust you, not only for today, but also for the days that you give. And Father, I also pray for those that have health concerns. Lord, in your mercy, would you please touch lives? Would you please heal those that are afflicted? You are the Lord who heals us, and you are the God who is our peace. I ask these things in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.